It's that time of the week again. It's that time when the latest episode of Digital Kill the Radio Star drops. Drop! It's time to waste another hour or so with David and Chris as they spout out more of their worthless music knowledge. It's time to hear them discuss the music of their youth. As well as the music of today. So kick back, relax, and have some fun with David and Chris. Digital Kill the Radio Star starts right All right, everybody, welcome back to the Digital Kill the Radio Star. And uh, just like last time, we had a, a really cool interview lined up for you. And uh, we have a really, really good one this week. And Chris booked this one and got it put together. So I'm going to throw it to him and let him do the intro. Yeah, thanks, David. Um, yeah, this one's exciting to me. You know, David, you know that this is, I'm probably more excited about today's guest than any that we've had on this podcast. Uh, you know, I've been a fan of the bands that he's in for. Geez, I guess it was probably 93, 94 when I first saw their vid- band's video on Headbangers Ball. From that time, I've been hooked. Um, you know, and I'll think about something today, David. You know, I, I think about how our favorite bands, you know, through our lives, they, they, they seem to come and go. And these bands, a lot of times of our youth, it seems we stop listening to, or maybe we'll return to, for, we'll return to them for nostalgic reasons. But, you know, there's those select bands that stay with you. And the music you just always connect with. And that's the way this band is to me. I've, I've never stopped listening to them. Uh, imagine I always will. Uh, it's just, to me, the music's, the, emotional, the motion in it, the, the melody, uh, it's never sound dated. They've always been able, the band's always been able to evolve musically, which few bands really pull that off, in my opinion. They kind of got to stick to their same thing. But this band has done it. And probably more importantly, after... I guess most of my favorite bands, when they get in well into 20 years of a career, they just can't make good records anymore. And this band does it. Um, Great records. So I'm talking about the legendary Life of Agony Mm -hmm. and founding member and one of the main driving forces behind the sound of Life of Agony, the great Joey Z. Yeah. What's up, Chris? What's up, David? Hello, everyone. That was like probably the best intro that I've had on any Zoom interview yet. <laughs> that, Thanks, was, man. that was perfection, Chris. Thank you so much. I wish everyone thought like you too. I wish, uh, you know, I, I, I should say, I just hope every Life of Agony fan out there has the same mindset that you do because uh, that's, that's awesome, man. Thank you. 
You're welcome. You're welcome. I, I mean that too. Like I said, we're, we're going to get into some of this too, man. The way the band's been able to evolve, um, it's, it's a really cool thing. Most bands lose us when they start evolving too much. So yeah, awesome. you know, we, we all, you know, we were always worried that we were, you know, hoping we were hoping we weren't getting derailed basically from ourselves, you know, as, as you write and as you naturally write like a band like us, we never put any like walls around ourselves when it came to writing. So that could be dangerous, as you know, with some bands, because you could sometimes go a little too far out of the box where, you know, as long as it felt natural to us and in the room, as long as when we played it, we, we felt something from it. That's the stuff we always kept. And, um, you know, especially with this last record, Sound of Scars, we really went back to the roots and like just the way we wrote River Runs Red, like Alan coming over my house, you know, sitting on the floor, grabbing a couple of guitars, trading ideas like like kids, you know, like basically like teenagers, you know, teenagers again, excuse me. And uh, that was something special about the way this record came together, Sound of Scars, because it felt like the old days again. And I think it, you know, I think it really fed into the way the album turned out. I agree with that too. The sound of it too, it, it, it's, it, it sounds like you kind of went back too. And that, that's awesome. That's the way you're talking about sitting on the floor as, like you were as kids. That's the first thing I thought of. It's like, man, these guys have been friends for, for years, man. I've I seen the documentary, you know, yeah, I got all that. Yeah. That, is, that is where I wanted to start. You know, a lot of times what we'll do when we, when we do these podcasts, David and I will start from the beginning of an okay. artist's career and we'll go through it. But you know, with the, all the attention that Salem Scars got and, it was a lot, you know. Yeah. I saw that, that you and you and Alan were y'all did a, a piece on CNN. I mean, y'all were all over the place, and with good reason. I mean, this was a hell of a documentary, and uh, it was emotional. Uh, I loved the family aspect to it. It was just a really, really well done documentary. Thank you. What I wanted to ask is, who came up with this idea? Why did you feel the timing was right to to tell the story of Life of Agony in this family? That is well, life of agony. you know, it's funny because we didn't even uh, it, it wasn't something that we like kind of it wasn't our brainchild. This whole documentary idea it was Lee Brooks, the director who was just doing basically rock videos for us. You know, he he helped us out on, on a couple of videos the last few years and he did a great job on the videos. And he posed this idea to us because he would follow us on the road and take just take footage backstage, you know, show up at shows in Europe and um uh, and then the idea just came out of him. He was like, listen, I have tons of footage already from, of you guys. You know, he's a big fan, by the way. Lee is a great heart, great guy, big, big Life of Agony fan uh, right from the beginning. And uh, he was like, I got all this footage. You know, I got this and that. He goes, why don't we dive in even deeper and let me let me put something together. Let me let me get more interviews from you guys. Let me let me come to your homes. Let me be a part of your daily life let me talk to you a little bit about you know the past and it slowly started kind of forming and he's like you know i think we have something here and as soon as we saw like the first cut like the really rough cut of this thing and it was i think it was only like 20 minutes he he sent us at first and it was like knife through the heart it was so emotional so once we saw that we were like okay let's go all in and we did and he flew to new york you know, it, obviously there's a lot of people out there that may have seen it already that are watching this right now. But, you know, we did all the stuff in our homes then when he flew back. We did the big trip to my dad's house in Maine, which was like mind blowing for me. 
And uh, we got really emotional, really, really deep, man. We ripped ourselves open for it, really. Um, I say it all the time. I don't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't even realize we were going to go there. You know, I didn't know we were going to go there. I should say, I, I, you know, even while it was going down, even while, while these interviews are happening and things were getting cracked open, I caught myself like, holy shit, like I'm getting emotional, man. Like a lot is coming out and it, it happened to all of us. So I think it was just meant to be, you know, how things in life happen and you just like, this was just supposed to happen right now. It wasn't so planned. It just, it just happened. Yeah. And that scene with you and your dad, that, that was one of the most touching parts of the entire film. Yeah. Uh, it was, mean, that, that was, that was awesome. Yeah. Flying up there. And it's funny. A lot of people on interviews and on some of these zooms have asked me, they said, uh, Hey, was that like staged? Like, did you guys get there and talk to your dad then say, okay, you're going to get out of the car. We're going to roll film. I was like, no way. They had the cameras rolling in the car. Got out of the car. Everything was filmed firsthand. Like there was no setups. There was nothing like everything in the film was done natural, just like what it was, you know, whether it was a dinner, whether it was an interview, but that dad scene, my father's scene was all like when I knock on the door and ring the bell, that was when I first saw him in the, you know, I don't even know how many years it was since I've seen him, but uh, way over five, six years, whatever it was. Now, I didn't realize that kind of time went by. You know, I, I realized that that, that mending of the fence, you, know, you, you guys have really had that. And this was just kind of, I, I didn't necessarily feel a stage. I just thought there'd been more of a, I guess you'd seen it more recently. Yeah, no, I, I haven't. And uh, the other thing was, was that, you know, you know, we did talk about us coming up there. Of course, he knew we were coming. I had to get the clearance from him like that. He was okay to do something like that. Cause that was, I, I give him a lot of credit, especially for what we've been through to say yes to something like that. I didn't, I don't even, I think it was therapeutic for him, but I don't even, I don't think that he even knew that that was the way it was going to go down. Like he got very emotional. There was a lot, there was a lot more footage that went on that day, like that we have, but I think Lee did a good job of like taking that whole day and basically compressing it into the, the little piece that he made there in the film for it. Um, yeah, there was a lot more conversation, a lot more, a lot more there, but Lee definitely grabbed the best stuff. Well, are you surprised by the reaction to it? You know, the kind of the, the, cause it's gotten, you know, critical acclaim and you've gotten a lot of attention for it. Yeah. You know, um, that after it was done and, you know, I did the sound on the film, you know, I mixed, I did all the uh, post-production mixing and all that stuff here in the studio, right here in this room. And, uh, while I was working on the film myself, finalizing audio and finalizing everything and, and syncing voices and all that stuff, as I'm finalizing stuff like that, I'm emotional. Like the movie was, no matter how many times I watched these scenes, it would happen to me every time. I get teary-eyed, I get the chills on some parts. Like it was over and over and over again, it was happening to me. So I knew that it was going to have an impact on people. I didn't know exactly how, what magnitude that was going to be, but um, the reaction has been overwhelming, obviously. And I mean, I'm getting messages on my cell phone from people that I haven't heard from in 25 years. And I'm not just like exaggerating. I literally am getting messages on this thing that I haven't heard from these people since I was growing up in Brooklyn 
you know, since I was a teenager. And I'm like, wow, how did you even get in touch with me? How did you, I got your number from this one and that one and that one. I found you. I saw the documentary. Oh my God. Like people that I didn't even, I couldn't even remember existed were getting in touch with me. So it really got out there. And that is such a great thing because the band really needs this at this point, guys. You know, we're, you know, we're on our 30, we were, we got together in 1990. So we're at 31 years, I guess, as a band. Um, and, you know, there's been a lot of question marks around the band. I don't know if you guys, you know, especially with Mina, with yes. our whole transition, um, there's been all these question marks and, and some of the old school fans just weren't down with it. And some people are not down with that whole thing. And some people walked away, but then we gained a bunch of fans. So the timing of this film, I think is crucial for the band because we want everyone to understand that we're real people, that these are real stories. This isn't some gimmick that we're living. This isn't some, you know, uh, facade. You know, this is who we are. We're real people where, you know, we live life like everyone else. And the band is something that is very special to us. Um, so when there was little bits and pieces of some negativity about Mina, it really hurt Mina, you know, it really affected her, you know, um, even if it was just small things here and there, it still really got to her. It took her a while to kind of overlook that kind of stuff. But this film is really important because I feel that it explains a lot about Mina, about how she needed this transition in her life to feel like her whole, her true self, to feel whole inside. And I think that really comes through in the film. I really do. Yeah, and I mean, I've followed all of your careers, you know, I really, I mean, I really have kept up with it. And, and the thing is, I, I guess when it comes down to me, I think that the fans need to, to understand whether it's something you identify with or not. This mm -hmm. is somebody who was talking about being suicidal. And, and so what happens, what's the alternative? Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, it, listen, we all know that that is not a road that anyone should ever go down. And it's, listen, it's been tough for all three of us. All three of us at one point or another had those thoughts. You know, Alan talks about it in the film a lot. Um, I didn't express that in the film, but I even personally had a couple of bouts in my life that, you know what, you know, I, I, was, I wasn't close to doing it, but I had those thoughts and that's, that's bad, you know? Um, and I'm sure Mina has had the same. We've had conversations. So, yeah, this this band is super important. It's 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 uh, it's something that is very therapeutic for a lot of people, especially the three of us. And now Veronica's on board. You know, um, we. But going back to the actual the people that uh, you know that Life of Agony has affected, there are thousands of people out there that we've met, Chris, Dave, that have cried on our shoulders, have told us that, like literally in tears that the band saved their life. That is like huge to us. It's huge because we've lost friends to suicide. We've lost people. You know, I've had close friends just recently commit suicide. You know, it's, uh, it's terrible. It's, it's such a tragedy on the family, on the friends. Um, you know, I have a friend right now that I'm, I'm carefully watching over. I got to be honest with you. He's been through a lot. Good buddy of mine. And I'm keeping a close eye on him as well because it's just things are tough for a lot of people right now. And, uh, and COVID has either 
lifted some people up or destroyed others. And, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm keeping a careful eye on all my friends and, and, you know, so man, how do I put it? I think the band has just been a super important thing for a lot of people in this world. Really. I agree. And like, so we'll talk a little bit more about that. Just uh, the impact, especially an album like river runs red, you know, just, um, yeah, huge, huge album. But before we really move on, I just a quick question about the documentary, because as somebody who liked it, somebody who loved it, um, which, by the way, another thing I was going to say, what, what I really like about document these kind of documentaries is when they get to that emotional side. You know, another one that I think about it is, I haven't seen it in years, but remember how great that Anvil documentary was? It was. They're, I've they're watched people. that on the road. They're, they're people. They're humans. And to see that side and not just the behind the music, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Exactly. You know, that stuff, It's yeah, it happens, but that's overplayed. That's not what we need to see. It's that depth these films get into. Yeah, we've been there and, and we've all seen those uh, home videos, let's call them. You know, I don't even know if they're documentaries. They're more like home videos, you know? Yeah. Back in the day, you popped one of your, you know, the home videos from your favorite band and you saw all the craziness on the road and it was fun. And I loved it, man. It made you want to go out on the road when you were 20 years old and just go nuts, you know? Um, but a documentary like this, like you said, Chris, is like, it, it's not really a music doc. It's really a life, a life, um, a life doc, a life story. Uh, it's for anyone. Is the I agree. I, it's for anyone. You don't have to know Life of Agony. You don't have to know our music. You don't have to know who we are. It's just an, uh, it's a good watch for any human, for any soul. Well, that's, that's, a, that's, a lot sorry, like, that's a lot like that Rush documentary that came out uh, several years ago. That That's one of my favorite. And I'm not even I'm not even a fan of Rush, but it explains those three people and their friendship. And that's why the music survived. Yeah, it's another great example. I haven't seen that rush. I got to check that out. What is it? It's called uh, "All the World's a Stage." Okay, and, and it's, great. it's it's about you know, and Neil Peart. You know his yeah. wife and daughter died within a few months of one another, and what he just got on a motorcycle and drove from Toronto to the tip of uh, South America by himself, and it's about how he used that to process everything, and 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 that's how he dealt with that, and how. Oh my God. You know, how Getty Lee and them just let him do it because he needed to go. They were such good friends. They knew he needed to go do this, but yeah, that, you know, documentaries are so powerful. And I mean, we're, we're all three music geeks and it is cool when you get to see, Hey, these people, they may play some, you know, some badass music, but they're mm-hmm. also human beings. Absolutely. And, and which, which is really cool. Cause you can relate to that. I can relate to, you know, somebody them showing this big rock star having to take care of his children or something like that. You know, they're just yeah. like us. I love that. You know, I love feeling closer like that to my, to the people who I look up to, you know, and I, you know, thankfully in my life, I had the opportunity to tour with some of these people and to really get to know them personally. And I'll tell you, everyone that I've met or come across, whether someone had something bad to say about them or not, I've heard over the years, tons of bad stuff about somebody like Dave Mustaine. And then I tour with him with Megadeth and he's one of the nicest guys that you want to meet, treated us like gold, loved the band, hung out with his family every day, his little son, Justice. I mean, I'm going back to 1997, I want to say right now, 98, when we toured with them. But, you know, he had a little son, Justice, his family. Um, Every day, he'd like want to play guitar with me, sit backstage and Joey grabbed your guitar, let's play a little guitar. Like, 
just one of the nicest people. But leading up to that tour, all you heard was just like nonsense. Um, but again, like I got to tell everyone out there, he's one of the nicest guys you ever want to meet and sit down with and, and just have a conversation. Um, but you know, again, like everyone is just, like you said, David, it, we're all, you know, we're all just people and we have lives and we do what everyone else does. And obviously, and, uh, it's, it's something special when you get an inside look with something like a doc or something like that. It, it really is cool. You get a little bird's eye view on, on those people that you love. Well, well, Joe, as we, as we talk about documentaries, we'll move away from that. It, it's, it's no longer streaming, you know, and I mean, you no longer can purchase it. Is there going to be a, is there going to be a physical product of it or is it going to be on, you know, Amazon prime? They do a lot of great music docs. Yeah. We get, we're getting asked that a lot, Chris, because it is down now, as you know, and, um, you know, right now there's a couple of companies looking at the doc. What we wanted to do is we wanted to get it out there, like, like really get it out there. Like you said, like on a Netflix or an Amazon prime or Showtime, something like that, or support, you know, docs like this. Um, but to do that, sometimes it takes channels like, you know, so right now there's a couple of companies that are kind of looking at the film right now and you got to kind of take it slow because there's a lot of deal memos to look at and you get the lawyers involved and all that stuff. So it's just a lot and uh, it's a different world and we're just kind of get introduced to it. So we need some help with that. Um, so we're, we have people that are helping now. So we're hoping that sooner or later we'll have more answers. Like, are there going to be physical copies? Is it going to be on a Netflix soon or an Amazon? Um, we should have those answers hopefully within the next five to six months, I think. That's good. And I think that, I think that with all the, all the momentum this film got, and then the story that you have, I think the timing's right. Uh, yeah. I think this is something, I, mean, I think this is, I don't think you're ever going to, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think you're ever in a tough time. You're going to have a tough time. No, no. I, pick this up. I think it's going to be pretty easy. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, that's what we're hoping. You know, I agree with you 100% because, um, you know, this is, is the perfect timing for something like this. I think there's a big push for equality in the world right now. Um, I think Mina, uh, just the person she is, is kind of heading that charge for people, for, for transgender people. Um, I, I think that, just in general, the world is really pushing. Everyone wants to be seen as an equal, you know? Look at social media, you know? Everyone's so dependent on, you know, when you really think about it, which is not a good thing, everyone's so depending on the likes, you know, the number of likes you get. And this, everyone's pushing to be some, you know, to, to be heard, to be somebody. Um, but you got to push in the right way. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. not about popularity. It's about what you could do with that what you could do with people paying attention to what you have to say. I think that's where it really lies is right there. What you do with that attention is really the important part of it. Not the numbers on the top of the screen. <laughs> you know what I mean, David? I see you yeah. smiling. <laughs> yeah. As, as you know, we have to play that social media game, obviously with, uh, I have two podcasts with, uh, with both podcasts and sometimes it's a necessary evil. Um, yeah. But my next question, you kind of already answered part of it, but I'm still going to ask you anyway. Let's go back yes. to uh, River Runs Red, which is a you know really important album in, in metal and hardcore. And, you know, oftentimes, like today, uh, my favorite band of all time is the Black Crows. Nice. And uh, one of their big albums came out today. I mean, uh, 29 years ago today, and the album changed my life. Well, obviously, there's a lot of albums that changes people's lives, but there's not a lot that can say they probably saved some lives. 
Um, what are what are some of the impact that 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 album has had on people's lives that they've told you about? You know, I tell you right now, um, without naming any names, I, I I I heard an incredible story, and it was only a few years ago. And uh, I met this gentleman um, that was at a club in Europe. I don't even want to get too specific because I don't want to, um, how would you say, make him feel bad that I'm using this as an example, but um, I'm sure he'd feel good about it. But his, his tragic or tragedy around the story, um, this, this man and this, his wife lost all three of their kids at different times, all at young ages from different things, whether it's accidents, sicknesses, they lost all their children one at a time. He got on his knees in front of the club. He barely speaks English. He got on his knees. He made someone translate and wrote a letter to me. And he brought the letter and I'm in front of the club. This killed, I cried for about two hours with this guy. I was sitting on a bench in front of the club. This guy comes walking up and he just drops to his knees in front of the club. Then he looks up and he starts hysterical crying at the sky and he's going, here he is basically in his own language pointing at me. And I, I stood up, I ran over him because I thought he needed help, you know, whatever, you know. And it, long story short is he had this letter, couldn't speak English. Basically in the letter, it said all about, it. he lost all his children, him and his wife, one at a time. And it killed me, man. It, I sat with him, we hugged. I had this guy by the neck reading his letter and we sat and someone was in, someone ended up helping with the translation because he was talking to me. So I needed someone that knew English and knew French. And um, we sat there for a good two hours crying and getting through this together. And he said how he wouldn't be on this planet if it wasn't for Life of Agony and our songs and our lyrics. He, I still talk to him today. He still texts me on WhatsApp gave him all my information anytime he needs to reach out to us to me um talk to him all the time he his english is getting better i think we inspired him to you know get his uh english skills on and uh incredibly emotional story he told me about basically through the lettering what i could understand about each kid about each tragedy and how he could still smile today because of life of agony, he could still sit and smile. And now that he met us, we welcome him. We welcome him backstage. Um, he's actually in the dock, but I won't point him out. Um, it's it's just it, there's something there that is unexplainable when it comes to life of agony. There's something else going on. We say it all the time. We, it's a feeling we have. We get that feeling on stage. All of us. It's not just one of us. There's something going on with this band that's necessary. We may not be the most biggest band in the world. We might not have, you know, millions of fans around the world like a lot of bands have. Matter of fact, we've watched bands pass us all the time, you know, like tour with a band that's opening for us before we know it, they're playing the garden. We haven't played there, but that doesn't matter. Um, there's a different reason and a different importance of this band. And I'm as I'm getting older and maturing, I'm starting to really understand it without being able to understand it, if that makes any sense whatsoever. 
I'm beginning to understand that part of it, that it's not how many fans you have. It's not how big you could say you are or the big mansion around you or the 10 cars you have out in the driveway. We have none of that. We have our fans, we have our music, and we got the people that show up at our shows. And that's what we're grateful for. And you know what? You always push for more. You always want more. You always want the next thing. You know, of course, every band wants that, you know, but there, I'm realizing that there's something different and magical about this band that has nothing to do with uh, mega success on a commercial level, if that makes any sense. Yeah, totally does. And you know, the thing is, through the you talk about the bands that are that may pass you by or whatever but a lot of those bands that get huge two albums later they're gone nobody cares about you're them. right you're right chris and, and i'm gonna be honest you're right some of the ones i just came were in my head already gone so nobody cares yeah. they're forgotten like fact he's not forgotten no and, and the impact that the band makes i mean i can only imagine you're isn't I, I gotta believe i can't speak for you but i can only believe it 20 year old kids Putting out, you know, however old you are when River Road's Red comes out, just using that one exa- one album in particular, how could you ever even imagine people would have those stories for you? Oh, my God. I would have never, I mean, we were just creating music and we just thought that this was, you know, this, it just came out of it. This is the music we created. You put the three of us together and this is what came out of us. This is what happened. It was our own stories, all our own stories are in all those lyrics. You guys know that. And all those lyrics from all the albums, it's just Alan basically, and Mina too, basically taking our lives and, and putting them and, and just, you know, implementing them into the, into the songs somehow just taking bits and pieces and, and all these things that have happened to us and thoughts even, and, and, and anything like that and just putting it right into the music. What's amazing. All the, you talk about your lives and all the depth, especially, especially an album like ugly. You know, yeah. that, I mean, that was a that's such a personal album, you know, that you yeah. put out there. But as we talk about the um, talk about the intro, just the, the way that you've been able to evolve as a band. Yeah, the thing with life, I feel like they, you've done one of the best jobs of any band, particularly metal hardcore, but not just that. One of the best band, one of the best jobs of evolving. And the thing is, you can put out a different sounding album and I don't get pissed off. Because it, I still enjoy the album. You know, you never made your, to me, you never made your load or saying anger, whichever one you want to pick, or or turbo. Not not to dog those bands, but I don't think you ever made that. And I wonder, have you ever thought about what it is of how you've been able to keep a loyal fan base and still, you know, successfully evolve? Yeah, I think it's just being true to yourself and true to the creativity of the art, what you're making, whether you're an artist, whether you're a musician, whatever you are, and that is a creative, whether you're a writer, a poet, anything like that, as long as you're true to yourself, it'll be timeless. As long as you're true to the art, what happens is too many bands will get, or too many artists will get jaded from outside influences and think they have to be a certain way or think they have to draw a certain way or think they have to sound a certain way or write a certain way. That's when it, it's not art anymore. You're actually creating for somebody else. You really should always be creating for you, basically. 
um, and allow that art to come from, from within. When I'm dabbling, when I'm sitting in my studio late at night or I'm here with the guitar, I'm not sitting there. I'm not going to go, what would so-and-so like to hear me? You know, like, what would I write for so I, I don't think I just play and whatever my emotion is starts coming out, whether it's frustration, anger, sadness, anything, depression, it just starts coming out of my art, you know, and I think that that's what all of us in Life of Agony do. And I think we, we are really good at that. And then sharing that with each other. And then at, that sparks an idea with someone else. You know, Alan will hear a riff and be like, or I'll hear something that Alan wrote and I'll be like, oh my God, I have, a, I have something that just that will fit with that. Or I, have, I just felt this, or I just heard this, check this out. And it's very natural. And that's, I think staying true to that, Chris, is what, you know, is the key to longevity. It is. And it's cool that you're able to do that because we talk about you all get together and you work on it because, you know, I, I know that it, just from the backgrounds, you know, I, I know that, you know, Alan with the punk, you know, the punk records put out. Um, yep. That, that just, which by the spoiler, way. Spoiler, the spoiler. Yeah, yeah that, that, that Grease Fire in Hell's Kitchen. Yeah. Man, that's one of my favorite punk records the last yeah, 20 man. years, honestly. Bad I love ass. that thing. And then you look at somebody like, uh, Mina and, and uh, died laughing in the, the pop oh. sensibilities of just be and songs like that. And you bringing in your metal and hardcore wrists and all y'all getting in a room together. And he put out, say ugly yeah, or something like that. It, it's a, it's a cool thing that you're all able to flow and bounce those ideas. And I guess all agree on sentence. Yeah. And, and, uh, and we allow our influences to really come through. That's the other thing. Um, because that's basically who you are as well. You're, you're a collection of your own influences, you know, whatever, wherever those influences come from. Like I know Mina is not only influenced by vocalists, but she's also influenced by actors, you know what I mean? Or actresses. So, mm -hmm. so like she'll allow that to come through in her art, in her approach, you know, um, I'm a big fan. You know, I have, I love so many bands from over the years, even so many new bands, I allow those influences just because I'm so excited. You don't, I don't sit there and say, okay, you know, I want to write a, a riff like Gojiro or Sepultura, but I'm so influenced by them that sometimes I'll sit there, I'll be jamming on my guitar and, you know, something will come out of me very heavy or very groovy. And I'll be like, wow, that riff probably could have been on the Sepultura Roots album. You know, like, but it's not, but it's mine. But, uh, you know, that's an influence coming out of me. So I allow that to happen. You know, you, you got to be careful. But at the same time, I think it's good to allow your influences to flow through you. I think that's very natural. That uh, that new Gojira album is awesome. Oh, my God, man. I think I have a favorite song already. Sphinx. Yeah. And Grind. Sphinx. Well and, and i really i really like the chant it's a little bit different from yeah, uh, from other things is. they've done yeah is that the number one album right now too definitely definitely yeah i think it's a no, yeah, number one album i mean so rock ain't dead yet folks oh yeah I, was, <laughs> I you know not to be like one of those but i've been listening to gojira for a number of years now uh, i you know i've been a gojira fan i'd say i got kind of introduced to them um i met one of them through uh kirk from metallica actually we had a dinner and the one um, the guitar player uh, showed up 
and said hello to all of us. And cool thing was he knew Life of Agony. He was like, yeah, man, I know Life of Agony. And I was like, oh, cool. But uh, yeah, I liked them a lot. I, I listened to them all the time. I exercised to them, do a little workout, you know, get you pumped up that band. Well, you know, speaking of being original, they're what they sing about and their lyrics are very original. Yeah. I mean, prim- you know, primarily the environment and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I, I re- they get they really get deep too. Like they do get a little personal too. If you really look at it, Joe, I, I'm sure Joe is the one writing the lyrics. I'm almost positive, but um, yeah, he has some personal stuff in there too. Like the song "The Cell," uh, one of my favorite Gojira songs. I would have to say is the song "The Cell," and uh, I can really hear him inside his own mind in that song. It's really cool. I like that about that song. Well, as we talked, you know, I talked too about the just the stylistic changes that, that we're talking about that, but some, a couple of the songs, the, uh, I just wanted to ask you about when the, the retrospective he put out 89, 99, I don't know mm-hmm. if you get asked about this much, but you know, I, I didn't grow up obviously big shot by the voices. I didn't grow up in the New York area and where, where y'all got you guys were playing before you got big, but Plexi got plexiglass gate. Yeah. And I have Joey, I got bootlegs of you guys from like when I was in college, I get these, these, uh, I got these DVDs that you have. No, no. It's just random DVDs. I don't even remember where I got them. Uh, Actually, I think they were VHS and I burned them all on the DVD at the time. (laughs) And so I'd watch those and you're you're doing these intros with plexiglass. Yeah. And, but I wondered because it was such a killer song. Was there a time? I mean, as you started getting a little bit more getting bigger as a band, releasing records where you were actually playing that one live and why why did it never get a proper release? Um, you know, basically that might be a question for Mina, but she never was a huge, she th- always thought she didn't like the way she sounded on that song. Um, you know, she always thought she could have done better. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, and she wasn't crazy about the song itself, but recently it was pretty funny, Chris, because we played a show with sick of it all in New Jersey at the stone pony. I think it was over like two years ago. And, uh, we convinced Mina to play the full plexiglass gate. The full oh, that's awesome. Time, which we, you know, I want to thank her right now. Thank you, Mina, for letting us play. <laughs> um, love my cousin. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we got to play it recently. It wasn't one that she wanted to really do. And, you know, when it comes to doing the songs live, we always make sure that everybody is really on board because you want it to come across. You want the emotion of the song, you know? Right. The other one on that was Coffee Break, which was that, yeah. that's that's actually probably my favorite one on there. And a lot of people like that one. And I know that was a that was an ugly outtake, correct? Yep. Yeah. And yep. so I, I, you know, I'm I'm speaking for you on this, but I feel like it maybe it just didn't fit the flow of ugly. Yeah. But, the B sides are getting no love, man. <laughs> but, the, but the thing is, the the it it did fit stylistic what you stylistically what you were doing on Soul Searching Sun, and so. Yeah. It's just like, I think there's a little, yeah, there's like a, 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 it's like right in the middle of those two records. Would you say like Coffee Break could fit right in between Ugly and Soul Searching? I, I agree. So I guess I wonder, was, it, was there thought of putting that one on? You know, maybe if nothing else, to hold over to, to Soul Searching Sun. Or maybe y'all just pushed the Ugly aside. It's like, okay, new record. You know what? Actually, I, uh, Mina really, I think she really liked Coffee Break. I think she loved that song. Um I think we might have, to, I think I might have to poke at it. Maybe she'd be into bringing that back on the next tour, you know, when we get back okay. out there. That something like that would be a huge surprise because the plexiglass gate thing was really huge for a lot of the fans when 
we played that in New Jersey that at that show with Sick of It All. Um, they were like, they couldn't believe it. Like, I think they were in shock. I think a lot of them couldn't believe we were actually performing the whole song of Plexiglass. So I bet. I Coffee bet. Break may have to be next because you just said that, Chris. Oh, that'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. <laughs> maybe, 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 maybe it'll be a show. Maybe it'll be a show. Um, maybe it'll be one of the shows I go to. Because, man, I want to yes. catch, catch you next tour. But, uh, you know, just, as I, just for a moment, stay on Soul Searching Sun. Yeah. Documentary did touch on this. And, and Joey, I even remember when uh, – First of all, I remember when that song, when that album came out. I remember Weeds was getting good airplay here. In yeah, definitely. And and you could tell that album. Obviously, there was a buzz behind it. And I remember even talking years later, talking to Dan when you guys played in Memphis with Stereo Mud. Yeah. And I remember him talking because we didn't have, we didn't really. I mean, we had the internet, but kind of sorta. I mean, it, yeah. It wasn't social media and all that. And I remember him telling me he's like, "Man, quit two weeks after that record came out." Yeah. And then they well, talk about it on the documentary. And it did feel like, and, and I didn't realize just how much the, the record label was behind thinking, man, this is, oh, yeah. is going to break you. Oh, yeah. They were, they were, they were, forget about it. They were gung ho, all guns blazing, you know, they're ready to do it. Yeah. Everything was, everything was moving forward. Everything was in line. We were going to Australia, Japan, but I don't want to make, you know, I, I, as much as that, we, we always talk about how the would have, could have type of thing. Um, I don't want to make Mina feel bad because it was a tough time in her life. And I think she really need to step She needed to step away um, to find herself, to find what she really wanted. And then she came back. So I think that it just wasn't the right time. Uh, yeah, it would have been great. There was a lot of good things brewing. Uh, who knows what could have happened, but I don't want to make her feel that way. I wouldn't, I love my cousin too much to make her feel like she let us all down, like that she, you know, like we lost a chance or we lost a shot because of her. Well, the know. mental health was more important. And, and that's and, what I mean. That's yeah, what I that, mean. It was way more important. You know, yeah. And, and they talk about this on the documentary too, that uh, I don't remember I may have said which magazine it was, but I know one of the magazines, uh, I think mm -hmm. it was Alan was talking about it. At the front of it was this advertisement for Soul Searching Sun in the back, searching for a new singer. Alan, yeah, Alan mentioned that in the in the film. Which led to Whitfield Crane. Yep. So my question on this is, first of all, two-part question, how did you find Whitfield, choose Whitfield as a singer? And the second part is, was there fear? Because, like, great vocalist. I mean, oh, I mean man, really, yeah. really good vocalist. Yeah. But fair or unfair, and it's the latter in my part, was associated with hair metal. Yeah. You know? right. and, and so were you was was that was that was that fear there? Yeah, well, I'll tell you exactly how it went down and then we'll get to the to the fear part. Um, well, first, you know, we shared a studio with Anthrax up in Yonkers, New York. We uh we had like back to back rooms in this building. It was just us and them. And uh, we had two, two big rehearsal rooms in either, on either side of the building. And we shared management as well. Um, so we were in each other's rooms every day. And we, you know, obviously Life of Agony was going through this thing with Nina leaving or Keith at the time leaving. And, uh, you know, we're all, we were all like one big family with the Anthrax guys uh, back then, especially. Um, <clears throat> and uh, it was Scott Ian who threw the idea out to us. We had... We had some uh, singers come in and try out, <clears throat> excuse me. And um, although there was some really good talent there that came in, uh, no one could kind of nail 
exactly what Mina would do from the, the bellowing loads to those extreme highs. It wasn't that they couldn't do it. It just wasn't natural for certain singers to, to do that. Some put on too, probably. Yeah. So we had, it needed to feel natural. Like everything else that we do, we really wanted it to be for real. Like where whoever was going to step it foot in that in the center there was going to have to really be able to put it, really do it, really put it out there all on, all on a limb. So basically Scott Ian came in one day and said, you know, I think you guys should really check out Whitfield Crane. And I think everyone at first was like, huh? But it made a lot of sense once we started talking to Scott a little bit more about it. He was like, Whitfield is an amazing singer. He is very versatile. He, he's a great front man. Um, and Scott made a good point that he felt that Whitfield would really do a good job, especially with this new record. With the, it had like almost like a commercial value to it, um, where he, what Scott was trying to say is like he, he could do the music justice, basically. He could really do this record justice. Um, so we said, hey, you know, at, at, at that moment, we didn't really have anyone that we were all gung-ho about. So we're like, let's fly him in and see what happens. So Whitfield learned, I think it was a handful of songs, maybe four or five songs, including Weeds. And, uh, and River on Dread, he, he had learned a couple others. And he came in, um, flew in. First of all, he's the nicest guy ever. I mean, if you had ever had a chance to meet him, you would know he's, uh, fuck, he's a really awesome dude. Really cool dude to hang with. Um, came in and he slaughtered it, man. He was like big vocal. I mean, very present in the room. Powerful, powerful set of lungs. Powerful vocalist. Um, really shook the walls with his vocals. He really has a powerful voice and great personality. Uh, that was, that was so easy uh, getting along and just chilling out and laughing and carrying on was a lot of fun with him. And we were like, you know what? We all spoke about it. Dan, Alan, and I we were like, you know what? We have this great record on our hands, you know, let's give it a shot. You know, this, this seems like the best option at the time. We're not going to quit. There was no quitting us. There never, there still hasn't ever been quitting us. You know, um, Alan and I talk about this a lot. But anyway, yeah, getting back to it, I think there was almost like um, we had a lot of confidence, believe it or not. It wasn't really a fearful thing. We were hoping the fans and, 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 and everyone that like loved Life of Agony would kind of come along for the ride. And we, we knew maybe some people wouldn't be down with it. Um, but we were like, we're not just going to roll over and die. So let's give this a shot. And we went out there pretty confident because of how, how well Wit kind of uh, knew the material and, and how well he sung some of the songs. We just stuck with the stuff that he was really good at, of course. You know, all the songs that really sounded great. And we went out there and did it. We really didn't go out there with any type of fear in mind. Just like, let's go have a good time and, and go do this. And I think the big thing was we got the Ozfest, and we were all super excited for that. Well, he's really yeah. tight. He's really tight with Ozzy Osbourne, isn't he? Yeah, and he. I, we got to give all the credit to him because he called Ozzy and Sharon for us, and he said, and he said, "Hey, hey, Sharon, Life of Agony wants to be in summer camp. Would you take us to summer camp?" And that meant take us on Ozfest. And she said, "Absolutely, wit." <laughs> so that was that. Life of Agony got on Ozfest, that Ozfest in '98 because Whit made one phone call, and we were uh, some days headlining the second stage. 
Well, what was the reason you guys didn't continue on with him? You know, we started writing music. Um, and I think that when we, we you, you can't call it like, we felt we couldn't call the band Life of Agony if it wasn't going to sound like Life of Agony. We started writing, we dabbled with some songs and they just didn't sound like new Life of Agony songs. It would be, it would had, it would have had to been a new band. And I think there was a lot of, depression going on <laughs> i know i was super depressed um although whitfield did a great job of of you know tour, you know doing the song you know playing out live i should say touring with us um and he did sound really good on the new stuff it just didn't feel like 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 life of agony and i think that was there was a little bit of a i i ve felt very reserved about that and i missed my cousin and I believe Alan felt the same. I know he expressed that many times, you know, about, you know, although Whitfield sounded great, it just didn't feel like a, it wouldn't have been a Life of Agony record. We would have had to start over with a brand new band. And then we took a step back. We took some time. And that's when uh, Stereo Mud ended up forming out of that period of time that we stepped away from each other. Um, you know, Dan you know, had, had reached out to me and said, I really want you to come down to Atlanta with me and jam with this singer, this guy, Eric Rogers, um, with Corey Lowry. And uh, at the time, I think I really needed to do something different. So I had, ended up saying, okay, and I flew down to Atlanta and that's how Stereo Mode started. You know, I read a rumor and that's probably, this might be what this is, is a rumor, but well, first of all, I remember back in the day, I don't, Man, I, I can't tell you why, Joe, but it's music is uh, people always think I've, I've been asked all the time. Do you, do you study this? Do you, hell no. It just means a lot to me. So it sticks with me like any kind of music that it's just I, for whatever reason, I don't forget it. And I think David's the same way. I remember reading that Alan was going to take over on vocals like, yeah. with Life of Agony. Yeah. And then so that part's true. And then the other I, I've just recently heard is that when Stereo Mud was forming, that initially Alan was going to say, I guess that, that doesn't sound like that's true. Basically. No, told me. That, that part wasn't. Um, there was a hot minute where we had a couple of rehearsals and Alan jumped on the mic. Um, again, I don't, I, it just, I wasn't a thing that felt right at the time. It what didn't feel again, like life of agony. Um, Alan is life of agony, but in a different, in a different position, in a different form. He, you know, he's, Alan's perfect for what he does in Life of Agony. He's an amazing, he's a genius when it comes to the writing. Um, as, a, a, you know, he's a great vocalist. It just, again, it didn't feel like Life of Agony to me personally. Um, I, I, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to go back there and remember all those feelings you went through. I think some of it gets blocked out because you, you got your best friend here that you want to pull for but you know, you're like, this isn't working. This isn't sounding the way it should. You know, I don't know if Alan's vocal range could have done some of the stuff that, you know, Mina has done in River Runs Red and all that stuff. It's, uh, listen, it, 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 it's not an easy thing to do to have the range that Mina has. That's a unique voice, man. Oh, not only that, I mean, her, her, her upper range, her, her higher notes are they're so powerful and and um they come from a really deep place you know um not anyone could just step up and do that 
And I think we had to be real to ourselves. And I think that's why we had to take a, a, a breather and step away from it. All right. Well, and you did, obviously you did mention, you know, Stereo Bud. You did make the se- successful transition. Um, new band. You had some, definitely had some commercial success. Uh, I mean, I remember Pain was played like crazy around here. Yeah. Like I said, I went and saw you guys, um, bought the records. Uh, uh, I mean, great band. Yeah. I, mean, I really, really enjoyed Stereo Bud. Me too. And, <laughs> and you know, I, so I guess I just asked, what was the experience like there? You know, you got you know, signing to a major yep. and what ultimately led to a breakup after just two records? Yeah. You know, that was like the cliche, uh, the, the, the quote unquote breakup or the disbandment, you know, was basically due to lack of um, good management. Um, the, there was a financial breakdown. There was money. There was money missing every other day. We won't get into details of why or how or who, but that when when tens of thousands of dollars just disappear, um, you know, it wasn't band members. It was everyone on the business side. And yeah, the band I guess could have fired everyone and just started over. But I think it was affecting the band so much on the road that we weren't all seeing eye to eye when it came because that part was so screwed up the management part and the, you know, what was happening with the band was so screwed up on the outskirts that it was affecting the band internally and was affecting our relationships. And because I think um, when, when, you know, you have some members on the phone with management trying to clear things up and then you're hearing other lies from another, it gets, just gets very ugly and very quickly. It gets very, um, it's not fun anymore is what we said. When something becomes not fun anymore and you're doing it just, just to say you could be, you know, just to say you're a musician or whatever, that's, that's not for me. Like I'll sit home, you know, I'll be a musician in my own way, but I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to fake it. You know, if, if you're not happy with the people or if, if internally it's not working out, if certain members are not jiving or whatever, it's and it's um, it's just a mess then i'm just like i hit the eject button and i'm like i can't i can't do this man i i gotta go get my plane ticket and go home um but that's basically it but we're all friends um i you know all of us in the band um we're all friends i love all those guys and uh, we talk a lot talk to dan a whole lot i just talked to eric recently i gave him a call we had we stayed on the phone for like three hours just reminiscing on stuff Talk to Corey all the time, John Fatteruso. And um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, we're all, we all, we all talked about getting the band back together, believe it or not, Chris, a, a couple of times. Uh, but for one reason or another, from one band member or another, we couldn't seem to get everyone on the same page at the same time. Will it ever happen? I don't know. But I was always down, man. I'm like, but there was one time they came at me when it was, bad timing when i was just about to do a life of agony record you know, a few years back i think it was the it was the uh place where there's no more pain album uh, okay t- 2017 um not that they were all ready to do it but there was talk like hey you guys want to do i'm like worst timing possible with me guys well, yeah like, man, that, that, that feels like when life of agony and i've talked to that in just a minute that seems like when life of agony was really getting back going yeah and that's that's when, that was like the rebirth Exactly. That, that was when we were really uh, we were making a push to, to really make it happen again. And I'm like, guys, timing couldn't be worse. Like, give me a couple, give me a year or so. 
you know, and then let's do it. And then I reached out to everyone. I'm like, okay, you want to, you, you know, <laughs> you guys want to do something, you know, want to dabble with some music. And, and I, for one person or another, nobody was really ready. So, um, but Dan has a great business down in Florida right now. Uh, he, he has this uh, like limousine uh, service business, you know, with a lot of those transport vehicles, like at big events, say like um, golf events, you know, you see all those transport, the buses, yeah. and limos. He has a big business down in Florida now. I'm, I'm so proud of him. I mean, a very successful business and he's very busy. He's the owner of the company. He started the business himself. And I think he has something like 20 something vehicles right now or 30. Um, he started with two and now he's at like 30 something vehicles in a giant lot. So he's like really doing well. He makes, he jokes with me all the time. He's like, he calls me skinny. Oh, Z force is my new name. Z force. I'm sitting by the pool. I'm smoking my weed and drinking my beer. What's up, brother? That's what he says to me. <laughs> That's how we Yeah. Love him. I love him. Another band you got to got to play with was Carnivore. Yeah. And, um, was that a band that you got to see a lot and were a fan of in their early days? Yeah, David, I love Carnivore. Um, I grew up listening to Carnivore. In that basement scene, when you see us like joking as kids, punching each other and flipping yeah. each other, um, you know, the music in the background usually was Carnivore or Sheer Terror when, when that was going down or Biohazard um we we're big hardcore fans back then you know we listen to all kinds of hardcore music but carnivore was one of our big ones uh sheer terror chromags agnostic front i'm a big agnostic front fan yeah me too and uh but you know carnivore yeah david um you know it was uh an honor for me you know when peter called me that night to uh, you know ask me to to be in the reincarnation of carnivore i I, I swear to God, I felt like an angel came down and blessed me with something. It was, you know, literally, I, I, I hung up the phone with him and I cried. Because I, I, Life of Agony wasn't playing at the time. It was 2006. We were kind of just sitting home doing nothing, not really writing nothing. And Peter called me. It was like that magic phone call you get that you, you wish for all the time. And I got this phone call. It's Peter, one o'clock in the morning at my studio in Brooklyn. And uh, he's, he called me a mountain goat. He always did because I had the goatee back then. Hey, you fucking mountain goat. <laughs> How would you like to be in the new, uh, in carnivore? I'm putting it back together. I'm like, what? I'm like, you're serious? He's like, absolutely. Be at my house tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, well, literally. He well, said that to me. Well, you know how you were saying like Dave Mustaine, had, there's for better or worse, he has a reputation. Um, and like you said, it, it, as far as you and him went, that was not true. Uh, Peter kind of has the opposite reputation. This is like one of the, the nicest guys ever in, in metal and hardcore. He is. He is. And uh, I'll tell you something. He, he is the warmest person. He will give his time to anybody. And I, you know, not to brush my own shoulder, but I do the same thing. We're very much the same type of person. Very, very real. Very down earth. Um, would definitely take the time and talk to anybody. Sit down and talk to you. Uh, and he just wasn't, he just wasn't glancing over you. He was talking to you, you know, he was engaged in the conversation and I'm talking about fans. I'm talking about Peter Steele fans or typo fans or carnival fans. Like I've witnessed this firsthand many, many times over and, uh, what an amazing soul. Um, we shared so many, uh, so many things together, whether it was, um, 
stories, feelings. You know, he told me a lot of things that I can't even repeat. A lot of things that he regretted about his life. Um, you know, and these are the late night talks on the tour bus and um, over a bottle of wine and, and, and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, he just, an, he was an amazing person and, and even more of an amazing genius musician as well. He was, I mean, I still, to this day, uh, I go back on some of the things he showed me when I was doing that little carnivore thing, the stint with him, the, the few years that I got to do it. Um, I still go back. I was just, this afternoon, my wife came down before dinner, tell me dinner's ready. And I was working on my, my extended ninth chords, which Peter showed me those, you know? So I'm still, after all these years of even him being gone, I'm still going back to some of the stuff that he, you know, that he actually said, hey, 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 Z, why don't you try this or try this on this song? I'm going to change this up. And he had all these other chords and all this other stuff. And I still go back, grab my guitar and play that stuff. So there you go. That's that's kind of impact he'd have on you. And if you're lucky enough, like the guys in Typo and, you know, people in, in, in Carnivore in the past, that got to play with him. You're, you're blessed. You're you're a lucky person. Um use a force to be reckoned with is the way I put it. Well, so, and first of all, Joe, you given us a lot of time, man. So you tell us we need to wrap up. Cause I got a few more. So, so you, by all means, but I'm telling you, I, 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 I'm so easy. You guys tell me when you feel like you had enough, but listen, you know, you can obviously tell I could talk all night long. That's the way I am. Um, I, I don't, I don't put any, you know, whatever you guys want is good with me. I, I awesome. really still feel I'm, I've felt really bad about what happened, but I won't say it again. But, and I know now this is in the interview, but guy, everyone out there, yes, I yeah. fucked up. I fucked up. We're going to let the cat out of the bag. This interview was scheduled for over a week ago. I had a crazy day, to say the least, and uh, I totally forgot. Yes, I'm a normal person. I forget. But that's unlike me. But I am apologizing on camera on <laughs> while we're recording no no need man no need this is a makeup everyone this is a makeup <laughs> no need joey joey zampella is a nice man <laughs> hey, <laughs> uh, hey so this documentary though we it did talk it talked about when um when when mina lost her father and at the i guess my uncle awake i'm not i'm not real sure but you know alan's there yeah and it felt like the the way the documentary made it, this was the, the family reunion. Everybody's getting back together. This was kind of the let's let's get the, let's get the band back together. And yeah. I, I, I imagine that might have been what spawned the uh, those two reunion shows that led that to the exactly, DVD CD. Exactly, exactly what was. And, and that you know, somebody who couldn't make it, obviously, man. I was, I was early twenties and broke and. You are how many states away? You're <laughs> yeah, you know. Tennessee, man. Yeah, you're so, in Tennessee, man. So uh, not to mention, I think they sold out in a mere minutes. But yeah, it was um, eighteen minutes. Eighteen minutes. The first night was eighteen minutes. Second night was like twenty-two minutes or twenty-three minutes. Where did you guys play? I don't remember where you. It played. was Irving Plaza. Okay. Yeah. Well, that you know the DVDs and when that came out, that was of course that was just awesome news for me. And I remember like everything Life of Agony does had that emotion in it and. Couple things that really stood out to me was playing how it would be. Oh, Anybody's yeah. Life of Agony fan that's listening to this, 
knows how deep that song is and how personal that is. I broke down like a baby on that song. That's what I was talking about, man. And it, but it, it's it's like it's so real. It's not like oh, look at this guy crying. No, it's so real. No. And it and, and my aunt and uncle. It's my aunt and uncle. You know, it's my family. It's like I, it happens to me on stage without any cameras rolling. It doesn't matter. Like. I've been on, it's happened to me on, it just happened recently in Europe and it, and I can't put my finger on, like I could play the same song a bunch of nights and then just one night, all of a sudden it'll be like a, I don't know, maybe that day was an emotional day or whatever, but I, they, it's well, weird. And it could be a different song on different nights. My mind is dangerous gets me sometimes when we were in Canada, you know, before the whole COVID thing happened, I remember one night playing that song on stage with Mina and, 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 and the band, obviously, and I got emotional. And there was only like maybe 150 people in this small little club, didn't matter. I'm playing My Mind is Dangerous with them. And suddenly I just welled up. I don't know where, what was happening to me. I couldn't hold it back. And I don't know, the music is very, it, it draws a lot of emotion out of us. Yeah, and seeing the way that Mina just that embrace, it, it, was, it was so special. And in the end, Sal, and I recently this that part always stood out with me how it be that always stood out, but I watched that recently after watching Sound of Scars like okay let me revisit this uh, DVD yeah and Sal at the end saying these last two nights have been the best two nights of my life yeah and you know it's like wow I mean this this shows you how special the band was and that I guess that was the moment where you is that the moment where you decided hey we got to do this again yes that Which was leading the Broken Valley. It absolutely was. And um, there, it, there was just such a great feeling. Um, those two shows, I got to say, were probably two of up there with the top 10 shows we've ever done as a band. Those two nights in Irving Plaza. And I'm so glad it's on DVD to always have that, to always, and for, for you know, Life of Agony fans or, or just family, you, you want to call it that, you know, the Life of Agony family out there get to have that those two nights on tape um there were a lot of special times like that in our band's career again there was a you know a bunch of shows that i could right now as i'm talking to you i'm rattling them off in my head like wow you know that show was amazing that show was amazing i'll never forget that one you know like i could you know definitely would need my hands and my feet because there's so many shows that stick out as being just amazing like transcending we're up there and suddenly you feel like you're not in your body anymore. That's when I know I'm at my, when I start feeling like I'm not, I'm floating, looking at myself play the guitar and it's happened to me. I literally came out of my body. Mina says it too all the time. She goes, Joe, I, it happened tonight. I came out, I came out of my body. Um, and I know what she's talking about. It's happened to me. You get these chills up your neck. You can't get rid of. And almost like you get euphoric, you almost, the song is playing itself like you, you're not even thinking. And then it's almost like it's as close to death as you can possibly feel because suddenly the room, you lose everything and it's the best way to describe it. And you just feel like you float above yourself. It's the strangest feeling. And, and that transcending type of feeling has happened it doesn't happen at every show. I would never sit here and lie and say that happens at every show, but it has happened in specific moments in specific shows. And it only lasts a few seconds. That feeling is about a 10 second thing where you feel like that happens. 
but it does. It's very strange. It happened in a Dynamo 1994. That happened to me um, at the Paradiso in 1994 um, at in Irving Plaza that night, the first night at Irving Plaza, the very first night. Um, I can, uh, the Turok Festival, probably just a few years back, we were playing in the pouring rain. The fans, there was 10,000, 12,000 fans in the middle of a square in, in uh, where were we? Um, which city was it in Germany? But the Turok Festival, in the middle of a square in a city and it's pouring raining and everyone is going absolutely berserk. No one cared. It's nighttime. All you see is the lights and all the buildings and the houses. And the place was berserk. We were on fire. We we're soaking wet. The stage is soaked and it was an amazing show. It was insane. And those are the shows. It will never leave. Like I know the feeling of being up there, feeling the power of the band, you know the songs playing themselves They're, it's effortless and those are the moments that you uh that I'll, I'll always have forever i i can bring back the feeling somehow inside of me to feel that that moment again and, i know as, um, as a as a music fan you know chris and i've seen hundreds of concerts and and been lucky enough pretty much to probably see just about everybody that we've wanted to see and i've had a few times as a music fan where it feels like at some point there's nobody else there. Yes. The, the band is, it's me and the band. They know what I need at the moment. And it's almost like I not come out of my body, but levitate. That's almost, it. That's yeah. it. That's the word. Thank you, David. And you feel like you're levitating. Right. And, and, and it's just like, um, like, I, um, Chris, uh, Chris wasn't with me, but I went to see uh, Ryan Adams, uh, his last show that he played with his band. I was going through a really, really hard time in my life and he played this one song that was really special to me. And all of a sudden I'm the only one in the Fox theater in Atlanta. I got the chills all over my arms because you got it. That's yeah. That's you, the feeling. That's and you it. Just, you just start floating. And like you said, it doesn't last a long time. You come back down and then you're just like, nothing's ever going to take that memory away from me. In, and you nailed it, David. That is it. When I said, like, you feel like you're rising above yourself, it's a feeling of levitating. It's exactly what it is. That, that it's, it's when I meant, that's what I meant by trans, transcending. It's like, I just, you just feel like you're levitating, like you're not, you're not bound to the earth or gravity anymore. That, that would be the feeling exactly what I get sometimes in certain moments on stage. And it happens every so often to me. And, um, but I love when it does because it's almost like an autopilot type of feeling. And when you're on autopilot on stage, there's something good happening. When, you, when it's effortless, when it's just, there's a perfect moment. There are, the crowd is perfect. You're all in sync. Nothing can break that bond. Nothing can break what's going on. Not even fucking anything happening. Nothing could break that moment. It's so solid. It's so, it's so certain. And I, I strive for those all the time. Like I don't try for them, but I wish, I wish, I hope for them, you know, but if you had one every show, it wouldn't be special. You're right. <laughs> You're absolutely right. And that's why I hold the bunch of times that it's happened to me. I, like you said, you, you'll never forget those moments. I have and, a feeling that first show back is going to get you, man. Oh, <laughs> I know it. <laughs> I've been talking about this, Chris, to everyone. I don't know what's going to happen. It's going to be like, 
It's going to be like an earthquake. I, I might like not that. come back to my body. I might just stay levitating. <laughs> you might yeah, actually, it, might be, it might be the whole set. <laughs> you might just see me float across the stage. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> well, you know, as we going back to where, where after the New York shows, you said you're getting back together. Broken Valley comes out and, um, I don't think I felt it then. I feel it more now. And, and I look back, I remember, I remember even seeing something. It seemed like Mina had made some kind of comment about, um, and I may be wrong on this, but maybe something to the effect of Life of Agony be, being more nostalgic and all that. And looking back on it, it seems like it wasn't, it was more of a kind of a one-off. And you fast forward to 2017, mm -hmm. a place where there's no more pain. Yeah. And that record just kicked ass, man. Yeah. And, and then it feels like a new Mina, a new life of agony, mm -hmm. the band's back. Yeah. It feels like you haven't taken off, taken your foot off the gas since. Yeah. Now, and, and you know, what sucked is uh, COVID, you know, took, took, you know, literally physically took our foot off the gas, but not in the way that it, it was harmful to the band, you know, COVID derailed us a little bit because we were about to go do some major touring in 2020. I'm not sure if you know, you knew that, but we had a full U.S. tour. Yeah, I was going to try to go to Nashville. I was going to yeah. try to go to the Nashville show. That's about a three-hour hike for it. Yeah, me. and we were going to add dates. That was just the beginning. We were going to do a second leg of it um, on the back end of 2020 that wasn't announced yet. We were talking about other cities and other parts of the states. So that was a, a really big derailment for us. Like we had all these plans, a new record, new band, like you said, all these plans in place. And then boom, off the road one night, March 12th, get the call. We're leaving on the 13th. Mm. The next day in Philadelphia kicks off the U S tour. I get a call 9 PM. All of my gear is on my front porch waiting to get picked up my guitars, my amps, my cabinets, everything, my suitcases packed, my kids are saying goodbye to me the night before. Everything is ready to go. 9 p.m. I get a call on March 12th from my agent, our agent, Dan DeVita. Tours off, Joe. Live Nation pulled the tour due to COVID-19, due to, due to Corona at the time. It was, everyone was calling it Corona. Um, I, I lost my mind. What? What? What are you, what are you kidding me? Is this a joke? No, nope, it's real. The tour's done. And that was it. And obviously, like, and then there, there it is, you know, and it's in the history books right there after that. And we even had COVID, my whole family over uh, Christmas. I had it, my wife, my daughter, Sophia. Um, my little one, Mia, didn't get it. She must have some super immune. She's, a, she's, like, a, she's like a superhuman person anyway. She's awesome. Um, but yeah. We had COVID over Christmas and New Year's. That kind of sucked, um, but we got through it. So well, my girlfriend had it, and I, I mean, same house, and I didn't get it. it just you're crazy. another superhuman. Yeah, um, I, I don't not, know how. Yeah, but you know what? We talked about that a little bit on the phone, right, Chris? Yeah. Um, but you know, again, like, thank God it wasn't that bad. We got through it. You know, without getting into the, the so many details about it. You know. Um, it was uh, really bad for a lot of people. You know, we even lost people out close to us. Um, really good, really good friend of the family. We lost Billy. Um, uh, but, you know, thank God, thankfully, we were okay in our house.
we, we, we're very thankful. Well, one of the last shows I think I saw before it happened, Chris, I drove up to Memphis and Chris and I went to see uh, Michael Graves play. Oh, cool. And uh, there was a band that you produced, Brand of Jewels there. Yeah, and, Brand of Jewels, man. Yeah. And so we actually talked to them. They were super nice guys. Oh, yeah. Uh, talked to them uh, after the show. Um, is How did how did your production uh, kind of career take off? And, and I know like Anthrax is recorded in, with you. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, well, it's funny because I had already started a pretty big record, the band Kill Code. I'm, I'm glad you asked me that because I get a chance to talk about Kill Code. Um, you know, I was already started. We had done drums before COVID. You know, we did all the drums, 10 songs, full record. Um, yeah, I don't know if you ever heard of Kill Code, another band from New York. They've toured with Twisted Sister uh, in Europe. You know, they, I'm, I think they're looking to get out in the States, hopefully, with this record. Um, really great band, really great people. And what happened was, Due to COVID, you know, obviously that got put on hold at first, you know, because we weren't having the studios in my home. So to continue to have people come here, you know, from outside the house, it was, and even, even the guys in the band weren't sure if they wanted it. So there was this like period of time where that record was put on hold. So I was basically home just hanging with my family, um, which was kind of a good thing, Gabe, because when was the last time I ever got to just hang out every single day with my kids? You're not the first person to tell me that. Play, play games, uh, play board games, go bike riding, hang out in the yard, just eat together every meal. You know, I can't, I, it was almost like it was, it was a double-edged sword. It was like a blessing and a curse, you know, at the same time. I couldn't go and play. I couldn't do anything really outside of whatever I personally could have did in my studio, which was a lot. It was some fun. I, you know, I wrote a lot of stuff. I started doing um, some sound for TV and film, which we could talk about that at some point. Um, so I did do a lot of that, but the most important thing that came out of COVID thing was the time with my family. Like you said, I, I've heard it a lot too. So obviously you said you were doing some writing or whatever. Is that music that will be heard in the near future? Oh, definitely. Um, you know, got a bunch of, got a bunch of riffs for myself and you know some of it may not be life of agony stuff some may be for something else something that i've been wanting to work on for a while but i got a bunch of loa stuff too that would fit with with um with life of agony for sure and we got we work we have a couple of songs brewing um and we didn't really because of the film we were so focused on getting that done there was a lot of work mina did the whole you know, I did some scoring as well. I did some, I don't know if you saw that, but I did some writing as well. But Mina did, you know, 90 to 95% of the scoring on the film. Um, she really worked a butt off on that. And uh, there was a lot of work to be done there with the film. We were very busy with it. And I was doing all the audio mixing and stuff. And at the same time, like, like you know, we were talking about earlier, I'm, you know, I'm a real person. I had to figure out how to try to keep money coming in. You know, we, we had... Um, we had some help from PPP, like um, the small business protection stuff. Mm -hmm. um, we had some help with that. I had some help with friends where I was doing some work with TV and film, like I mentioned earlier, uh, Dark Moon Entertainment. I actually, I'm still head of audio for them. I'm on their website, I'm still working on stuff for them um, right now as we speak. Uh, so I had to also figure out as a dad, as a husband, as a homeowner, how I can keep funds coming in because 
basically when your all your touring goes away on you, um, that's that's basically the majority of my income is when we get out there and play and and you know the money we make from shows and merchandise. You know, that's what we all do for a living. Life of Agony is what we do. And then I have the studio and I trickle things in. But this year, or should I say this last year or whatever, I had to kind of flip that and figure out how I live in Long Island. You know, it's not the cheapest place in New York to live. Um, We live in a very nice area, if you want to call it that and all that. But, you know, we figured it out. And and sometimes you got to step up and you get you put yourself into the grinder and you just make things happen. You know, you just, you know, fire away at it. And and we did it. And um, thankfully, knock on wood. And a lot of people helped out, like I said, some friends, you know, um, you know, other people wanted to record music, which was cool. Uh, So basically, you know, just kind of pieced it all together. And I'm still doing that, you know, as we speak. Um, I'm finishing up this Kill Code album uh, soon. So you'll be able to hear hear that soon. (laughs) Finally, after a year or so. (laughs) Are you doing, no, what about the, the, the TV and film that you're doing, or is, is, yeah. is that something that's new for you? I mean, I yeah. know you did for, for for Sound of Scars, but yeah, no, it, it's it's awesome because uh, I I'm I'm broke into a whole new world and I'm excelling at it very quickly because I don't know I, I have a knack obviously for audio for I have an ear for stuff and you know uh, a friend of mine Dawn Robinson hired me for you know to work on film and TV stuff documentaries for her company. And it's been great so far. I got to work on some documentaries. I'm actually working on a new film right now called Poor. And that's, what, that's not with Dark Moon Entertainment. That's with a different bunch that I met through Dark Moon. And you might recognize some names. Um, David Peterson, who did Supersize Me. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. So yeah. he, uh, it's his film. And, and, and Sean Claffey, good friend of mine, Sean, who is doing videography for Dark Moon actually brought me in on this film, Poor, and it's going to be a big film, uh, and Michael Moore is involved. He's doing some editing from what I understand right now. I think he did um, Fahrenheit 9-11 and, and, you know, uh, Bowling for Columbine, something like that. And um, Those are all really big. Yeah, yeah. they are. So, uh, yeah, so I'm I'm head of audio for that film, and uh, I'm doing all their – I'm going to be mixing the whole film for them. Um, so it's exciting because this is something brand new to me, but at the same time, I feel really confident with it when I'm in front of it and, and actually doing it. It's something I'm very comfortable with. Um, it, it was just a, like a natural, uh, transition to be honest, Chris and Dave. Um, yeah, man. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, when you, we talked for a minute too about touring and you know, the, um, I was going to ask you that American leg that you were going to do. And you may not even know this now. I mean, I know because I don't know if you're starting to play in dates, but was there any is there any chance of that Beast Coast Monsters? Yeah, that happened again. Yeah, that that U.S. tour. We want to put it back together. You know, funny because Doyle was just asking us. So are we are we going to go tour? He goes tour. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, and I love Doyle's records. I yeah. really do. You know, you, you get them because you like the Misfits, and you're like, oh, I'm going to see what this is about. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm, a big, I'm a big Misfits fan. I flew up to Philly to see one of the reunion shows. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, those records are good, man, especially yeah, the man. last one. So I'd love to see them. Yeah. The they, LOA. Yeah, it's a great show when we play together. And one of my favorite parts of the show is Doyle comes out and he plays Other Side of the River with us. 
I've seen know, that. I've seen that on YouTube. Yeah. And, and it's it's one thing to see it on YouTube. And then when you see it live and you see. And he's so massive. Live, yeah. <laughs> and, and, then, yeah <laughs> and the pounding of the. You know, we do this whole thing where he comes out like Godzilla and King Kong. And we, we, we do, you know, Veronica starts pounding the drums when he comes out and he starts stomping. It's just a fun. This is a really fun thing. Speaking of Veronica, we got to put the tour together for no other reason than Hey Doyle. Oh, my God. I need more yeah. of that. We were just talking about that with her. We, everyone is asking about Hey Doyle. Will there be a, a you know, a volume, a season two? Um, the and, best is when he's caught off guard and he just looks, he goes, uh, he just starts laughing. Yeah, uh, and he goes, <laughs> he has the best little chuckle ever, man. Yeah, that is yeah. so funny. I even, I even sent it to my girlfriend. She was it, she was out of town and I sent it to her at random. And she said, she, I didn't think her response was, that's cute. Oh, my God. You know, it's funny because Veronica would be in the van and, you know, we'd have some pretty long drives in Europe, you know, some up upwards to eight or nine hours. And, of course, all of us are uh, trying to help Veronica come up with Hey Doyle jokes on these big rides, you know, like and Veronica would be like, nah, I don't like that one. Oh, I like that one. Like, you know, like, you know, all these dad jokes, whatever, these corny jokes. Um, but anyway, yeah, I mean, hopefully we get the Beast Coast Monsters thing together. I think we will. I don't think it's just a, a done thing, you know, as far as it not, as far as it, you know, may not happen, may happen. I think it will happen is Good. where we're at. Well, uh, Joey, as we kind of wrap this up on our, on our last interview, we interviewed uh, Kevin Martin from Candlebox and he was cool, telling, man. he was telling this, you know, there's going to be a demand for venues. Um, yeah. you know, for bands to play, but also he thinks the bands are going to put so much pressure on themselves to just put on the absolute best show. Uh, do you agree with that? Yeah. You know what? I, again, like, uh, I, I try not, I'm, I try to live in the moment. Like, I think it's a good practice. Um, it's something I've been practicing for many years now in my life. Um, I try not to get too ahead of myself. I think when you do that, it never turns out the way you think. So I, I don't do that to myself anymore. I really stay in the moment. Um, I want it to naturally happen because talk about that transcending thing, talk about that levitating thing. That won't happen if you plan it to happen. You know that. Right. So I think that we're going to get out there. We're going to do what we normally do. And I think the natural, the, just whatever, you know, the natural vibe of what's going on at that moment, the electricity in the air will carry carry the show and carry what well we've always been a band that has that tennis match with of energy with the crowd you know you throw energy at, we're going to throw any energy at you for sure we're going to throw a lot of it but as soon as you start throwing it back at us we throw back harder and vice versa and then it just builds into a snowball and that's why our shows get so wild and the crowds really get going because the more we get it the more we give it and vice versa so I, I expect that to happen tenfold. Um, and uh, there are no specific plans yet, like what we're going to do or what kind of set, which is kind of exciting too, because you never know. We might start going back into the library, pull out some of Chris's favorite songs. Coffee break. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we might start doing, so, you know, I'm sure we're going to like try to come up with like an ultimate, you know, a badass set, especially we didn't get to play a lot of these um, Sound of Scars songs we didn't get to play out a lot of it. So it'll be fun to trickle some of those in and, 
and uh, you know, of course, have all the classics that everyone wants to hear. We're not we're the type of band that actually will put the the classic songs that everyone wants to hear in our set. You know Thank what God. I'm saying? Thank you God. Know, you know when bands are like, yeah, how could you? Just a new record. Just yeah, new it's record. almost like it's almost like you know Metallica. You know they have to put Master Puppets in their set. If you go see Metallica, you ha- they're gonna play Master Puppets. That's what I always loved about Metallica. They're gonna play all your favorite songs that you've always loved, and I love going to see bands like that. That's what all bands should do. And I mean, if you put out a new record, I get it, man. You want to play four or five songs of it. That's yeah. cool, man. And, and play along the set. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and, and thankfully, Life of Agony still puts out great records. So where I do kind of want to finish this up is we're, yeah. we kind of jumped around to COVID and finishing up, getting the tour back going, yeah. and what it's going to be like. But I do want to step back because as we wrap up with with the uh, Talk about Sound of Scars. You never got to play the songs. So, you know, there might be some people that just are, are friends with David and I or some people that listen to us that don't know Life of Agony that well. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they're really going to know the story of how this works. But, I, you know, we said before we went on that I told you that the uh, Sound of Scars is probably, I mean, it's up there. It's probably my second favorite record that you've done. And, you know, so... Like I said, it's definitely one of the best, and it's, it's, I'd say it is my favorite since River Runs Red. Now, here's where it gets interesting for somebody who doesn't know and where I'm going with this. River Runs Red, it's a story. I guess yeah. if you want to call it a concept album, but it's a story. And story. it's not a happy one. It's a dark one. It's a, a tormented youth, I guess we would say, um, having a very tough time in life. It's yep. dark. It's emotional. It's, uh, it, it can be a painful listen. You yeah. know, it, it, it's helped a lot of people, but it can be a painful listen too. Yes. And it doesn't end well. Uh, and where I, the first of all, when I heard that the new album was going to be continuation, mm-hmm. I just, my first thought, how? How are they going to do that? Yeah. Yeah. Because I think everybody thinks, well, he died. Yeah. And, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, go listen to the record and, and actually, I tell everybody, if, if you're not real familiar with Life of Agony, I was telling a friend of mine this the other day who knows your music, and but he's never been, he's appreciated it, but never really gotten into a deep dive. I said, here's what you do. Listen to River Runs Red, and then the Scars, yeah. put about, give yourself about an hour and a half, hour 45, and go straight through. Be yep. able to devote your time to it. It's going to yep. be the most amazing listening experience you've had. Yeah. So the Sound of Scars picks up, and... You know, how you did that, I just thought it was genius. And maybe other bands have done that, where they combine two albums years later. But it's not a common thing to do. And whereas River Runs Red was such a dark record, this album, it doesn't, it starts dark, but it, what's beautiful about it, light comes through. Yes. And it's such an amazing ending with... Um, I Surrender. It, it, that song almost brings tears to my eyes. I mean, it's, it's like... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's accepting. Things yep. and it's trying to move forward with the life that you have. And in some ways, it, it almost feels like you can feel Mina's story in yep. that. Yeah. And it's just a, I don't know, it, it's a beautiful record. And I guess what I would say is, how in the world did you, you guys think, let's go ahead and do River Runs Red. Let's keep it going. And did, did y'all think that the character died? Was that was it written at the, was it written that way? Or did you know? We, we, we didn't know. We all originally planned I guess when you're younger, we figured he died, right? That's yeah. what we figured. Um, but Alan, again, 
we're here at my house. We're writing the record. We're about five songs in. We're <clears throat> we're just writing songs. We you know we, we're just throwing around songs right here in the live room. We wrote "Sound of Scars" right here in my house, right in this room, and we're throwing around songs and we're playing. We we got about four or five songs made, maybe about four songs. And Alan comes over one day. We're drinking coffee upstairs, the four of us in my coffee room, and. Uh, we're all drinking and, and Alan goes, hey, listen, I had this idea. I thought about this less. I want to throw it at you. Have an open mind. And he was like, what if he didn't die at the end of River Runs Red? And we were like, hmm. And soon it, and once that conversation got going, that's when it was born. This is going to be the second, the continuation, the, the, the continuation of this person's story. Why should he die? Why not? Why can't he be saved? This is life of agony. We want to save people. We want the person to live. You know, we don't want them to die. Um, so it was brilliant. It really was brilliant. And it was something that was exciting right away when you thought about it. And for me, being the person that was going to produce this record, you know, um, or co-produce it, um, you know, it was exciting to me because I knew I was going to get to build all those interludes. I knew I was going to get to build that story from scratch and how it how it unfolds right here in my home. And it was super exciting. I got to tell you, um, I put all those, uh, I built all those stories. You know, Al and I spoke about them first, how it would play out. Let's let's get some kind of idea of how what's going to happen. And then I ran with it with each scenario and I just started building them here without the band here. So I was the only one. I got friends, like I said, and family members, but the band didn't even hear any of them, not the beginning. They didn't hear them until they were done. And I sent it to them. Oh, that had just blown their minds. It was, they said they were blown away, which made me so happy. And I, honestly, I was so grateful um, of their trust throughout the whole record, whether it be their, their, their performances. I was basically choosing all everyone's performances and Mina was like, Joe, I'm just going to give you everything I got and you, you keep what, what you like. And basically there's so much trust there that made me feel so good because when you have a band behind you like that, that really believes in what you do and you're, tr and trust you with, with everything, with a new life of agony record in my hands, you know, um, all right here on my wall, Alan made me this, uh, after this was done. Um, I don't know if you could see it, but Alan, awarded me with this beautiful piece right here i don't know if you can actually i can, I can see that yeah sorry um i kind of lost you for a second no that is cool oh, um he uh made that for me which is super cool um and but anyway getting back to it yeah it it, it, it it's an amazing journey if you if you put River Runs Red on and then put this this new album on Sound of Scars right after it, you get the full story, and you get the bookends and you, and it kind of still leaves you with that thought: what's going to happen next? Doesn't it? Could there be a third? Yeah, well, you did. You really did set yourself up, man. You almost set yourself up a franchise, you know, <laughs> you know, like a movie franchise. But it is cool. All those effects, like everything from the so such intricate details, everything from the sirens to the bathtub lifting, yep. to the phone ringing, yeah, and the, the the therapist calling. It, yep. it's, it's yeah, so good, it's, man. It, it, it was it was it was incredible doing all those pieces and 
just the bathtub scene alone was uh, uh, so cool to put together. Um, you know, it, it, again, I use real people and, and real scenarios. I don't want to give it away too much, but because um, I don't want anyone to get a, a, an idea. Like, I don't want anyone to be thinking of that when they're listening to it. So, um, but it was, it was so incredible getting to put it together. It was almost like making a movie, but with sound, like a, a sonic movie. And it is. Yeah. It is. Well, man, that, Joey, thank you. Thank this has you. been awesome, man. I mean, I, I, your music, I think you know just from talking to me, it, it means a lot to me. I know. I, mean, I feel it. it it's, it's amazing. And uh, I'll never get tired listening to Life of Agony. I'm not one of these guys. I don't have tattoos. I don't have them, whatever. But I've got I don't life have a lot either, man. <laughs> David's seen it. I've got Life of Agony. On the, I ride motorcycles. I've got Life of Agony on the back of my helmet. I had yeah. to paint it professionally on there. Oh, so, do you, do you, could you send me a picture of that? Of course I can. I've got, I'll... Go ahead. I've got three bands on there. Now I'm going to, I'm going to put up a disclaimer. I feel like in hindsight, I was like, man, it should have been bigger because I put on, on one side, I have, um, Skelly of social distortion. Oh, cool. Awesome. I have that. And on the other side, I have, I want your skull. Oh and yeah. And on the hey, back, listen, to be in that company, please. On the back, the life of agony logo is right there, but you That's got the coolest part, man. Anybody behind me. Sees LA. Oh, you got to send but, us a picture of that because I'll, I'll have Alan post it. I will. The next thing I want now, I, I wish I had another helmet to where I, I get another one. But I want there was somebody I saw on one of your socials probably a year or two ago. They had the most beautiful tattoo. And I'm thinking for a second, well, damn, maybe I need a tattoo. It, they did. And I'm sure you've seen this. It was River Runs Red and even had the, the details of the tiles everything oh yeah so yeah amazing thing is like man to have that blasted out on the side oh on the helmet like across the yes get it amazing. get it man get, get it done i, I, I got it this this girl's not cheap i need to give her a little plug but, oh. but she's she's awesome amazing amazing work she's in new york i believe oh yeah what yeah. uh do you, what if you don't mind me asking what's her name i can't it's jesse i can't remember don't I, worry I, about I, it i'll, I'll get Tennessee. i'll get it to you yeah, yeah I'll because get it to if, you. if she has a portfolio, because we're always looking for good artists. Don't forget, like when we do, you know, Alan is Alan does all of our art, you know. Um, but in general, just for anything, for uh, additional designs here or there, you know, who knows? But it's always good, even for myself, for any projects I'm doing or for for bands that I'm recording. It'd be good to have her information. Yeah, and I follow her now on, on social media on Instagram, and she recently was just doing a project with with uh orange county choppers so that shows you she's oh, i think wow. she's really i think she's really rising the ranks wow now but anyway, I, really, I really appreciate you guys um i really you know again uh i'll come on again if you guys ever want to uh, do a do a you know an update type of thing um you know i'm always down for a for a chat i really enjoy this and um you know i appreciate you guys uh also understanding that i got had a screwed up day that last time you got a life to live man we all it happens to all of us so but yeah joey this is this is it's been a it's been a real pleasure uh i'm glad we finally you know got to do it and we always offer our guests a chance to uh, give us a song to play out so what would you like to play out with oh is it can be, can be anything oh, oh anything well, doesn't matter a life of agony song it sure can just because chris just mentioned the end of sound of scars but i surrender it's basically my favorite song on the record because at the end my daughters are singing the i surrender part in the background if you listen to hideaways you hear kids doing that 
that was uh, Alan's daughter and my two daughters doing the part on the record. That's and, very, uh, very cool. Yeah. So they're, they're, our kids are actually on that song. Um, the hideaway at the end there. Um, but yeah, let's, let's go with that one for sure. I definitely think it's a great wrap-up song. All right, everybody. We're going to play out with a little Life of Agony. Once again, thank you to Joey for coming on, and we'll talk to you guys next week. In this room. There's no faith and there's no truth and there's no faith.